Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. I never saw this land when it was green, before the drought came. My father did, even as the fights over water first divided states. He always believed in the land. Welcome everyone to another TNR short. We're calling this one Trailer Rewind, and the idea here is to go back 
and look at films that Pete and Andy talked about in their trailers section from the regular show and actually go watch some of those films because sometimes they kind of fall by the wayside. The one that we're going to talk about today is called Young Ones. And this one, uh, Steve, Steve, you picked this one. Do you want to talk about maybe uh, what got you interested in talking about Young Ones today? Sure. This was a, a trailer pick. It was Andy's pick back from uh, August 22nd, 2014 uh, on their episode of uh, For a Few Dollars More, I believe. And as I was looking back at trailers, this one stuck out. Uh, Andy had a lot of enthusiasm about this. He really, you know, he commented on the cast and talked about this as this sci-fi Western. And that was a genre that I thought was really interesting to to look at how this is handled. Sort of a different take on the plethora of dystopian films we have to really bring it back to something more similar to a Western. And so that was something that appealed to me why I selected this. Also the cast, uh, it's got Michael Shannon. Uh, always enjoyed his work in uh, films, well, aside from, you know, Man of Steel. Now, Michael Shannon was in a film a few years ago. Is it Take Shelter? Is that- Take Shelter. That's the one. Take Shelter. So I was really impressed with his performance in that. And so I thought, again, a smaller film to see what he can really bring to this. But we also have uh, Nicholas Holt. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have uh, Cody Smith-McPhee and Elle Fanning. Uh, So just a lot of recognizable faces from much larger films. So I was really intrigued with that cast to see what was it about this story that drew them into this. So I thought there must be something really uh, interesting to pull this, uh, this cast together. So I'm glad you talk about story, too, because that kind of was the most interesting thing for me about it. I mean, in general, I actually was really surprised by this movie. I I, I liked it quite a bit, um, and I didn't expect much. My expectations going in were pretty low, um, and there were some times where it felt like it was a small movie or that it wasn't able to convert on some of the things that it did. But um, it surprised me in the way that the story was seemed really well thought out. It seemed to follow its... The, the original plan of where it was going in this sort of three chapter setup and uh, and I ended up feeling underwhelmed in the first chapter but by the time I got to the end especially the third chapter I thought it was really well conceived and and I I do think it's a good movie. I think, especially if you like this genre, I think you're going to love this movie. Yeah, well, I think it it really grabbed me from the beginning. If we we look at how it really sets the tone, uh, we've got just a very short introductory piece before we get into what we're told is chapter one, which is uh, Ernest's chapter. But we have yeah. a, a small scene of, of two thieves trying to break into um, a little shed out in the middle of the, the desert. And we see that... Uh, Ernest sneaks up on these guys that are trying to break into his shed. And uh, one of the guys is, he's, you know, he's, Ernest has already shot one of the guys and the, the other is there, hands up against the shed and he's, he wants to turn around and Ernest is warning him not to. And the guy is, you know, very flustered and he's, he's got to go to the bathroom. He doesn't want to soil himself. And so he's, he's trying to talk Ernest into letting him turn around and Ernest tells him he, not to, or he's going to shoot him. The guy wets himself. We see that. We think, okay, he's he's telling the truth. He's just, you know, he's the guy that got in over his head. But as he turns around, we see that he's put his hand into his pants and has pulled the little pistol out, and Ernest shoots him. Yeah. So we see that, you know, really what kind of guy Ernest is. And I thought that was a really nice way of setting up the thieves trying to get in to get the water. We know about this water shortage. We're a little bit about Ernest and the type of world that it is sort of that Western, you know, out on the frontier. Each man is a law unto himself. And I thought that was a nice way to really set the stage for these three chapters that we were going to see play out regarding each of these men that the stories focus on. Yeah, I thought that was really clever um, and and really kind of showed that it's this sort of sci-fi Western thing. I thought that was right away it set the tone. It said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have this sort of this realm of justice 
while everyone's sort of scraping by to get water and water becomes this, you know, huge sort of negotiation piece for everything that goes on in the, in the film. And, and it, it set it up really well. Yeah. The, the, uh, fir- so the first chapter focuses on Ernest and we learn a little bit about him, his family. He's got a son and daughter that he's, he's taking care of, uh, we also see that he's got a job, which is he's got a donkey that he and his son Jerome used to basically sort of like the postal service. They they run a route to to carry supplies, mostly booze, yeah, and well, mostly booze. <laughs> Do- donkey breaks its leg, its leg. They have to put it down, which puts them in a position of they may not have this job anymore unless he's got a way to transport his supplies. So they go off to an auction. They buy, uh, and this was something that Andy had commented on, which was the the Google robot dog which was uh, the star of the movie it was the star you, I, that was that's a real thing <laughs> exactly that and, yeah uh, it was awesome I, I i was questioning myself the whole time i'm like how are they getting it to act this way and it's because there's this real thing that exists out in the world that's the google what do they call it the big dog is that what they call yeah, it Yeah, the big dog yeah <sighs> it was awesome yeah. it was awesome so and it was real it's real and they i thought they used it really well as sort of a key point in the story so ernest has it he's using it to you know, basically transport supplies, and that's where we sort of introduced the character of Flem, played by Nicholas Holt, who uh, is in a bidding war with Ernest for this 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 robot. And we then learn that Flem is also courting Ernest's daughter. Uh, right. So there's there's sort of a bit of scheming going on. We're, Flem is trying to sort of get his way into taking over that job to earn some money, working his way into the the family. Did you know? Did you know in that first chapter that he was trying to get the the farm? I, that was one of the things that I thought was really interesting as as you get through the pieces of the film is that I just felt like he was always just trying to get something, you know, in this sort of dystopian world that he wanted just something. And that's why he was trying to take the job first. And then it just kind of elaborated in this really neat way that all of a sudden it was this master plan. And he became a really uh, sophisticated antagonist as we went through the film, as it started small with just trying to take a little thing, the daughter or the, or the, or the donkey or, you know, the, the big dog, whatever it is. But then it grew into this sort of master plan. And uh, I, I liked how they elaborated that too. Oh yeah, he's he's really this opportunist. Whenever he can take a situation and turn it to his advantage, uh, he does. Yep. He, he he finds a way. And I think yeah, I don't know that it was his initial plan. I think he wanted the he wanted the job because he kept you know telling Ernest, let me let me do it for you because then I can negotiate with those guys to bring water to our land because one of the stops is this water camp and they're. I think they're the government employees and they are highly involved with the distribution of water, building out the water lines. And uh, apparently Flem believes that he's going to be able to negotiate a deal to bring water land that Ernest hasn't been able to. Yeah. He eventually does, but the circumstances by which he's able to do that didn't exist when he's really confronting Ernest about that. It's because of things that happen later on. He's able to say, oh, okay, well, because of that, Here's why you guys are going to have to work this deal. Yep. Yeah. So he's always, it's always working each angle, trying to create an opportunity that he can then twist to his advantage. So it's a really interesting uh, character. It reminded me a lot of uh, some novels, like early 20th century. There was a novel called McTeague that was uh, made into a film called Greed. And it's, it's basically about a, a woman and her husband and they win the lottery and there's a, a third man that comes in to break up the family to, to get at the money. But it really felt the story, this structure reminded me a lot of those these sort of early pulp 20th century novels where it's, it's, it's just family drama and opportunity and, and greed and money. But there was something 
with the sci-fi setting that that made it a little fresh with you've got the robot you know in the robot dog and the, the the drones and just sort of a society that's broken down so instead of being on the edge of a civilization that's developing we're on the edge of a civilization in decline yeah which i thought w- worked really well I, I think the story yeah that, that was the kind of thing that i really liked about the story is that i think that it it developed and it developed in a way that i totally did not expect from a film like this um and that's why i asked the question about whether you know whether in the the, the book that you're talking about you know it, it's kind of clear that someone's going in to try and access the wealth but because of this sort of desperate life that the world is leading in this movie because there's no water it's almost like uh phlegm will just do anything to get ahead and his you know his aspirations become larger as the different ways for him to betray the home family become an opportunity for him i i, I was i was impressed with how this the the story grew as the as the film moved on oh yeah so he he then you know he sort of replaces Ernest. he becomes the head of the household there after Ernest's Ernest death yeah cuz the casting I, I guess there is a significant age difference between Nicholas Holt and Cody Smith McPhee, but you know, sort of look like brothers. But Flem, he really takes that as I'm the man of the house now. I'm yeah. responsible for the bills. He really has that maturity uh, of establishing himself as the patriarch right. now. And you know, Jerome has always been sort of the the shy, meek son, uh, not a very outgoing personality. And we see his slow transformation as he learns you know, little bits and pieces of about what's going on in his family. And I think thought that was an interesting transformation that happens in the in chapter three, with, with chapter two really being about Flem and acquiring sort of the, the homestead and then being able to bring the water and then the profit that comes from now being able to farm. I believe it's a wheat farm yeah. that they have so that it, he's now, you know, the prosperous rancher out there on his land, protecting his land. He's got the money. He's able to take care of the mother who's in the in the hospital, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was another little interesting uh, futuristic twist on that of, you know, the the mother who's off in the, the hospital instead of it being something from, you know, late 19th, early 20th century, like tuberculosis or something. She's been and I believe we see a, a small flashback. There was a car accident. It, it's sort of suggested that Ernest was drunk and was driving, was in a car accident. His wife was basically paralyzed. So she's in a hospital with this robotic rig that allows her to, to walk and move. But it's still something out, out remote in the hospital. But Flem is now able to also continue to provide for the mother as well as, as his additional responsibilities. That's really what I see is the development of chapter two. Yep. And then as we get to the turn that happens in chapter three, which is interesting because of the big dog and what happens with the role that it plays in Flem's plans and opportunities. Spoke to Robbie today. What's that? On the radio? He was looking for you. Robbie was. What did he say? Just that he's looking for you. Where is he? He didn't say. What did he say? He said he was looking for you, that was it. What on that? On the 10 meter? Yeah. Did he give a channel to radio back on? He said he was on someone else's handle. Someone else's handle or someone else's radio? Handle, I think. Handle. Huh. Yeah. 
that's a lie. I, I don't know, it's just what he said. No, not him. You, that's a lie, that last part. Flynn. Robbie doesn't have a radio, so he doesn't have a handle, so he didn't call here. Tell her. I saw what you thought. I saw what you just thought. Flynn, stop Robbie it. called looking for me, that's what you said? Yes. And you spoke to him? Yep. Cody Smith McPhee. If if we talk about the acting, I I felt like he was the the only person who really kind of took it to another level, and that might have been by design, um, because we are seeing his transformation in the three chapters of the story. All the other actors, it kind of felt like one note to me um, that there really wasn't a whole lot of diversity in what they were doing. But I don't know that I, I didn't have a problem with it. I just didn't love any of the other characters, and that might be on purpose too. So if it's supporting the the course of the story, I'm okay with it. And I was really impressed with Cody Smith McPhee actually that the the when he discovers you know through the use of the robot dog um the 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 real sort of the evil that has uh, befallen his family I think that's a really powerful scene and that was the the it was probably my favorite shot of the of the film is watching him realize uh you know sort of the lies that have been brought to him and and the the tragedy that's been following his family uh was the cause was caused by some some person oh yeah that as he's sitting there in front of the monitor watching yep. sort of the the historical record from the big dog of what it's what it's witnessed uh and then what he does with that the game that he plays on phlegm which i thought was uh, great was was brilliant it's sort of playing the you don't know that i know what you did and <laughs> game of oh uh you know i believe it's robbie you know he he called on the cb and you know we he knows that robbie's dead but phlegm doesn't know that he knows and sort of the the gamesmanship that goes on of trying to manipulate phlegm to get him to play out you know basically what what jerome's end game there is to get him out in the wilderness again his, to his vengeance right. on uh on phlegm was uh was just very nicely played. Yeah, it was suspenseful and interesting. And every turn, we thought he was going to get caught, but he just he made it through. I just, I really liked that part. What did you think about uh, as part of that journey? He's got to leave sort of the barren wasteland where they are and travel into the city because the the big dog has returned to its manufacturer after it was was damaged, and he's got that that travel through sort of the waypoints and being smuggled in into we see sort of that not the entire you know country is is this desolate wasteland we see a little bit of the civilized side of things and, and what what did you think of how that was portrayed I thought it was a, so I, you're it's a really interesting question because I think it there's a couple different things in that I really thought the as part of the story I thought it was great to go back into the city and 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 affect that part of the story as the question of having the character of Anna uh, there um, and the showing of the other parts of the world. I thought some of that could have probably been cut. And the only reason why I say that is because that was part of the world building in this movie that isn't really present in some of the rest of the stuff. And I really liked when it wasn't present, when they sort of gave the audience credit that they were going to come along for the ride and they didn't have to explain 
why the world is the way it is or why we have a robot dog or why those kind of things are in. That's what, that was one of the things that I thought was a strength of the film was that it didn't have to explain how futuristic it was. So um, so in, as far as making the big thing of going through the gates and bribing the folks and, and, and that sort of story there, I felt like it was more of an aside and was more of a distraction from the story. Uh, and I understand why it's important to have for the story, but there was probably a little much there. I, I felt the same way about the mother though too to be honest. I mean, we need that for the story in certain places, but there were certain scenes, uh, for example, when um, when the mother was saying to Jerome that, you know, well, does he make her happy? Then he's a good man and stuff like that. It didn't affect the story at all that they had that conversation. It didn't really affect my feeling about what was going to happen and the vengeance still takes place. So that felt unnecessary as well. So again, when when it felt like it was over world building, I didn't think it was necessary because one of the things I loved is that they didn't feel like they had to do that most of the time. Yeah, it, it reminded me a lot of like Mad Max Fury Road. There's a lot of things that that you see going on that the characters understand. It's part of their world. We get little to no explanation. There's the, the painted or dyed birds that are, it's like a bird race or something. They're all released at one time. There's some wagering that goes on. That's never yeah, explained. That was it was yeah. just, it was just, okay. It, it adds sort of to the atmosphere of this, of this yeah. world. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a great word flavor. There's a lot of flavor and that's something that, yeah, the story moves along very nicely. I thought very tightly. We have some of those asides that maybe could have been, you know, they serve some purpose, but we don't get a lot of over explanation, over explanation of the, why there is no water, what's how civilization's broken down. There's we hear on the radio things about the government and the settlers. We don't get a lot into a lot of the politics or anybody, you know, monologuing about any of those things. We just get it as as you say, adding flavor to the world, which I thought played to the strength of this film. It kept it really grounded in the characters, uh, which I think was really the strength of this film to watch them transform. And as it ended, I asked myself if everybody really got what they deserved. By the end of the hmm. film, was this was this a tragedy or not? Yeah, because it's 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 got. I thought it it balanced it. There's there yeah there's you know Ernest Ernest's death is somewhat tragic, but he's clearly got some demons in his past that he's he's paying for. Right. Uh, you know, well the the women I think those you've got the the mother and the daughter and they are really there, there's not much there to them. They no. serve sort of like chess pieces they're moved to serve functions in the story to to either motivate or drive the the male characters but they themselves really don't do much right which was it was a bit disappointing for me uh so you've got the three men you've got ernest phlegm and jerome really and and what they each get or deserve in the end of the film and i thought i thought it, it i felt satisfied yeah with with where everything ends yeah it's described as a tragedy most places where i see descriptions of the film it's yeah. described as a tragedy i don't really feel that way i think it you know it's kind of that vengeance story and um and and it surprised me in the way that it approached that and i i was happy with it i i agree i think i was satisfied by the fact that they wrapped it up and that uh that i felt like everyone got what they deserved i thought the ending was uh, solid in in terms of that Anything about script, director that you wanted to touch on? The, the dialogue in general, nothing really stuck out to me as great dialogue. 
Um, but it, but that's not a problem either. I mean, it really, the uh, you had mentioned that you thought the transformation of the characters was a strong point. I really felt that the, the sort of depth of the story here was really great because, again, I didn't have heavy expectations coming into it. I felt like it was going to be a small film, um, and in general it was, but, um, but it really surprised me in the way that it was deep in terms of story. Yeah, and then it's directed by uh, Jake Paltrow, and this was something that uh, I believe Pete commented on when they yeah. were discussing the trailer. So he's the the brother of Gwyneth Paltrow. Brother Does, of Gwyneth. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot. I think some TV and one other film yep. uh, to his to his credit. And uh, they shot in South Af- or not South Africa. They shot in Africa, uh, which I think is pretty amazing when you consider that he doesn't have a film and they were out there. Yeah, I, I, I was really uh, you know. I'm looking forward to see what his next project is. Sure. Uh, this this is something that, that feels like a, a a young filmmaker, you know, honing his craft. Uh, it, it to me, looking at this being sort of one of his first films, I thought it didn't suffer from a lot of things that a smaller, uh, you know, er, young filmmaker may suffer from, which is uh, gaps in the plot or trying to overexplain, not having really developed characters. Yeah, uh, and, and he made a lot of uh, bold uh, choices. You know breaking it into these these three chapters, focusing on each of these men. And I thought it was handled very well to keep that balance, to keep the story moving along. Uh, so I, I thought it was very competently, you know, assembled film. And he was writer and director. Uh, and with his first film, he was as well, which was The Good Night. And I'm not familiar with that, but uh, 2007, so... Looking at the cinematography, there was a lot, uh, a lot of center focus stuff, which... Um, which I noticed a lot of it. Um, the first few times I saw it, I thought it was interesting. The first shot, the first real shot of the film, when you see the two thieves you mentioned with the gun, that's a center focus shot with everything kind of down the barrel of the gun. It, it, they used it a lot, so um, so that was a little much. But some of them were really poignant and important. And I mentioned my favorite shot of the film was that uh, sort of pivotal point in chapter three when we're watching Jerome go through the transformation or learning about the the actual tragedy that has already happened that was really profound and powerful to use for the center shot so that's what I noticed the most most I didn't notice a whole lot of other um uh, super interesting activity in, in the part of the camera. No, I think it, again, it, it didn't do anything that drew attention to itself other than some of those those centered shots uh, at the and after after chapter three ends, we do get uh, sort of the cast, you know. Yeah, we get I like a sequ- that sequence at the end where the ever centered with a a brown curtain sort of blowing in the wind behind them with you know actor's name and character almost super clever, very very theatrical. I yeah. thought of introducing the cast that way uh, added a sense of again sort of something. Outside of the realm of film, you know, yeah. breaking this into chapters, kind having of like this old very West theatric- theatrical, almost exactly, yeah. exactly. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so again, some some nice choices that I felt were made for sound reasons, not yeah. just for the sake of being artsy. artsy. <laughs> yes, exactly. So One, two, overall, three, clap. yeah, exactly. yes, uh, yeah. So it was a, a lot of fun. Again, this was something that I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it because it. Usually, with sometimes a smaller film that that's really flown under the radar, uh, it could be a big disappointment. It could be some unrealized potential, and uh, I was I was not angry at this film. It didn't frustrate me. Uh, I enjoyed it. I felt that there were some things it, it could have maybe gone a little bit more. I, it didn't keep me. Uh, it, it didn't. I didn't come out of this saying, "Wow, this is a great film." But it's definitely something that I would recommend for uh, people that 
really looking for a film, inter- you know, interested in char- a character piece. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that's something necessarily for somebody that's looking for a lot of action because it's, it, I wouldn't say it's slow. It takes its time, but it does move along. So yes. I thought the, the pacing was well handled. Uh, and just the cutting of the film, editing. Uh, there's some there's some big jumps. Uh, the way things are handled, but done very artfully uh, to keep the story moving along. So overall, I you know this is something I definitely uh, would recommend. It's uh, on my flick chart. I've mm. uh, I've I nuked my flick chart about two years ago and oh, you been did. just yeah. I just I I got to a point where I was ranking. Uh, like sister act against my big fat Greek wedding, and I hadn't seen either of those in twenty years. I'm like, I, I, I can't. I don't. I, what, what do you do? So sister I nuked act. everything. Definitely sister act. Yes. <laughs> oh wait, no, sister act two is the really good. One. Okay. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. So I've just been adding films uh, as I as I see them now, so that I can sort of uh, with a fresh mind put them in. So this came in um, at one fifteen out of one sixty six. Uh, okay. It it it, it bumped up against. Um, Robot and Frank uh, to sort of make it in the first half, and that was that's another small film that I really enjoyed. Uh, I think because it's a little bit lighter, it, it won out in that, and that kept Young Ones sort of condemned to the bottom half of yes. of my list. But um, it's it's still a, a solid showing, I think, and uh, I expect it, it will hold its place uh, as I continue to add films to this because it was something that I found really really satisfying. What's the one right above it, and what's the one right below it? <laughs> so it's right below. Down Dallas Buyers Club. Oh, oh wow! And, that's 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 strong. I yeah, mean, and for this, and movie, then uh, really just Andy will appreciate this. It is just above the Joe Show. Th- that's that's the documentary about Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Oh, that Andy interesting. Worked, Andy that's down. cool that that's on your flick chart. Yeah. I I also <laughs> did my own flick chart on this deal too. Uh, and you know, the one thing that I want to say before I talk about that is that the only time that the film felt cheap to me or felt really small is when they did try to put in effects so i i did feel that one of the greatest strengths of this film was when they just kind of put it it put it open and just were shooting models or shooting shooting things and just kind of letting it be when they they did fly one drone over the over a a a scene at one point and it looked really fake and then a couple other times when they were doing the flashback to the car accident for example or they were trying to uh, when they were trying to be artsy with effects, it felt really, it, it felt cheap yeah. to me. Yeah. And that, and that was indicative of the size of the film really. So when they, when they weren't using it, it was great. And when they did try to use it, it just didn't work for me. So, and that's kind of the thing that told me, Oh, you know, a relatively new filmmaker wants to put these things in, but didn't really fit with the film. So for me, it ended up, I think a little bit lower when we think about proportions here and you know for everybody who's going to listen to this we do have you know we have our film board flick chart and then you know the pete and and andy have their own flick chart for the the films that they've done a few dollars more where this uh, trailer comes from will have its place on its flick chart uh steve and i have talked about how we should do this and you know we have our own flick charts as well so that's why we thought we'd talk about it in terms of the films that we've seen so on my flick chart i don't have all the films that i've seen in my life but i do have all the ones that we've talked about or that i've uh that i can kind of put in context with the next reel so mine went a little bit lower you said 115 out of 160 for you is that right yes 115 out of 166 so i'm 89 out of 102 and oh, okay. i think uh, and i think you know i'm 
generally really positive about this film, but it was tough for me to rank it against those sort of big, uh, I'll just call it big budget films. I'm sure there was a sizable budget on this film too, but uh, uh, the sort of traditional sort of wide release films, because a lot of those in the sort of tightness of those films, they they end up getting higher for me. So for example, sure. it, the one right above it for me is is Divergent, which <laughs> like I, I don't feel good about doing that, yeah. but in general, that's the first one, right? And I actually yeah. kind of like the first one, even right. though it's so low. And then the one that it's right above for me is The Wolverine, which I feel, oh, okay. which I feel totally good <laughs> about The Young Ones on the strength of its story being yeah. above all the crazy, terrible stuff that's in The Wolverine. So... So in general, it sounds like we both kind of liked it, which is neat. Yeah. And I'm excited to share this with Andy. Oh yeah, I, th- I think uh, and Andy will. Uh, you know, we can definitely recommend this is a trailer pick that he's to go back and uh, to visit. Uh, I think Pete will probably enjoy this as well, and I think yeah. anybody uh, that's that's looking for a really good, uh, it's it's a sci-fi film with a low amount of of sci-fi. More more western uh, with a, a good character focus to it is, is something that I think uh, anybody looking for that type of film is going to enjoy this. And we should mention another way that we're trying to find these films. So one of the things that we're doing in reviewing um, the trailers that Pete and Andy are doing is we're trying to find films that are readily available for people on either Netflix or Hulu or any sort of other digital place where you can grab it. Um, I watched mine on Netflix. Is that where you watched it as well? Yep, that's where I found this on Netflix. So you can find it on Netflix now and that's probably how we will select these going forward as well so if uh if folks if anyone sees something out there that's coming up on netflix and wants to hear about what we think about it that might be a thing to suggest to us as well so thanks so much and uh, we will uh sort of post when something new like this is coming up so that people can watch and uh, take part with us in that way as well all right thanks have a good night we'll talk to you later talk to you later I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Stephen JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January. Or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Mm-hmm.